0: If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn to Daniel chapter 3. We're entering into a a two-week series here that's simply called, Rock in a Hard Place. And um, perhaps you've heard that expression before, rock in a hard place, it's essentially that you're facing a very difficult situation or a very hard decision. Um, If I can give you a personal story of where I felt like I was uh, between a rock and a hard place, it was last summer. And Brady and Judah and I were on our way home from my folks' place in Wisconsin. We were pulling their boat. And um, and on our way home on Interstate 35, we took an exit so that uh, we could have lunch, only to come off the exit and hit the stoplight and find that my truck was beginning to smoke. Trucks don't do that. And so clearly something was up, and I was a bit curious of what was happening, a little bit concerned, and we're like north of the Twin Cities yet, so we've got quite a ways to get home, and uh, we've got a little bit of a problem here. Well, we were going to go to like McDonald's, that's Judah's go-to, and um, instead we decided, oh look, there's a Ford dealership. And so at that point I veer off and I head to this dealership, and uh, the individual looks things over and um, you know for the most part felt like you should be good to go i do need to emphasize this individual was young probably new okay if it had been joe butcher we'd have had that thing figured out and we'd have moved on but the kid goes looks good right and i drive off that dealership lot and i go this is not good right So I called the dealership back home while we were filling up with gas at a gas station near this location, and I explained to somebody back home here what was going on, and they said, "Uh, you should go have that looked at. Uh, Something's not right. So I go back to the dealership, but they're booked up, and they're like, it's going to be a couple of hours before we can actually look at this. I said, well, we need to get moving. And this was a Friday of all times, right? And I said, uh, you know, is there any other location that you would recommend? So we head on down to another place, and the gentleman says, we've got time. Go ahead, unhook, pull this thing in, and we'll give her a look. Well, about five to ten minutes into that, they call me back into this place and walk me underneath the vehicle, and he says, you need a new transmission, Yes, exactly. My thoughts, I could have probably started crying underneath this thing, and I thought, that's a lot of money, and I just had to ask him to confirm that. I said, can you give me a ballpark, and he was saying it might be around $5,000, and I'm just sitting here thinking, oh my goodness, and I'm between a rock and a hard place here. I'd like to get this home to do this kind of repair, but can I actually get home? And so that was kind of the tension that we were in, and at that point, I did call up Joe Butcher. (laughs) And uh, he, at that point, entered into my situation with great empathy, and uh, at that point, it got to the situation where I thought, you know what, I think I'm going to take this back to the dealership and try to figure something out with a rental car, because this place we were at did not have a rental car. So I said, I appreciate it, but we've got to get back home to Iowa. I have a, a situation I've got to be a part of on Saturday, so I can't stay another couple nights or whatever while you repair this. And so we go back to the Ford dealership, and I walk in, and I go up to some guys that were probably more seasoned. Uh, and I go up to them, and I explain what was going on, and they go, oh. Oh well, this is the kind of vehicle you have? And I said, yeah, and he said, well, if you're overworking a little bit, that thing will actually vent and spill out your transmission fluid so you don't overheat. He says, maybe that's all it is and we just gotta check your levels, but I don't think you need a new transmission. And I'm like, thank you, Lord, let's wait this thing out. So we went into the waiting area, they came back, they gave me a $20 invoice and said, you are good to go. Your levels are good. You can head back out on the road. And uh, the Lord answered some prayer there. But when I was standing underneath that truck at the previous place, I felt, what are we going to do? right? I felt like we were in a bit of a situation there where either I walk through this circumstance or I try to get this thing home somehow. But it wasn't looking very good, but God pulled us through that situation. I want to introduce you to three Hebrew men. We know them by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These were Hebrew men that were prisoners. They were captured by Babylon in 605 B.C. So imagine being taken captive from your home and brought into a foreign place where you now must live and you are living as a prisoner. That was these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the writer of the book of Daniel was also in this boat, a Hebrew man that was brought in to this situation. And they often say that these were teenagers, possibly from the age of 14 to 17. So get that into your mind as we are about to read about these young Hebrew men. I'm going to give you their Hebrew names, but a little bit later in my message because i believe their names have great meaning and their meaning actually fits with this great account that took place in their life so before we read from daniel chapter 3 i'm going to ask that we would pray together this is god's word he speaks to us through his word so let's settle our hearts and get ready to receive would you pray with me right now heavenly father we thank you for your word lord your word teaches us, it instructs us, it speaks into our hearts and lives. And we invite you now to speak powerfully to each one of us. Lord, use your words. And Father, use me to share what it is you've placed on my heart to share today. Settle our hearts to receive. We ask that you would move now in a very powerful and real way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 1. We hear about a man named King Nebuchadnezzar, and he begins to build this statue, and he's going to start demanding some worship. So let's start here in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue that was 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide, and he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of this statue that he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted, People of all races and nations and languages, Listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race, or nation, or language, bowed to the ground and worshiped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of these musical instruments." Verse 11, the decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you've put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue that you've set up. Well, then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and he ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue that I've set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then, what God will be able to rescue you from my power? What a question. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Now we're going to stop there for a moment. Before we keep reading, I want to address a couple of things. One of the first things here is to understand... In this story, if there's a certain character that you would say is probably most like Satan, who would you say that is based on what I've just read? The king. And he's demanding worship. And I want to make a point with this in regards to Satan and what he wants to do in your life. We need to understand that the enemy wants your worship worship. The enemy wants your worship. That's the reason why Satan fell from heaven. Satan is a fallen angel. He was an archangel leading worship in heaven. And there was a moment where he thought, you know what, I want some of this worship directed toward me. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So just like that, Satan is removed from heaven, and the Scriptures say a third of the angels went with him. Was that a third that ended up giving that worship to Satan? We don't know that, but we know that the reason why Satan was thrown out of heaven is because he desired worship. Instead of conducting worship unto the Lord, he took that unto himself, and he was removed. Any worship that is not in God's direction is false worship. Any worship that is not in God's direction is false worship. So think of things in our life. We don't necessarily have a 90-foot statue that when the music plays, we begin to bow down because we're ordered by the king. It's maybe a little more subtle, but what are the things that we can shift our heart and our mind to on a daily basis that's not God? An idol is anything that replaces God in our heart. And so you look at where we spend our energy, where we spend our focus, where we spend our time, where we spend our resources. If we did an inventory of that, it would reveal the things that we actually would replace God with. The things that we might, dare I say, worship. We worship with our time, our money, our resources, our focus, our energy. All of that, though, comes from our heart we worship every day and we need to be careful because we can even worship good things things that god has placed in our life we can worship relationships whether it be our spouse or a a girlfriend or boyfriend we can idolize them and almost have them take the place of god in our heart and life We can worship our kids. We can worship our grandkids. Good things can be worshipped and take the place of God. And if that happens, it's a moment here to just warn us, that's false worship. We can worship sports in our world. I love sports. But they can consume us. You go to a church service, And we sing a song, and sometimes people are like, when's this going to end? Or I'll just read through the lyrics, I'm not going to sing. I'm not a singer. I'm not going to get excited, or anything like that. But then they go to a ball game, and they're a totally different person. Take them to the state tournament with their team going for a championship. How are they going to respond in that environment. We all worship something. We all worship something. The question is, is it God? Romans 1 warns us to be careful about worshiping creation rather than the Creator. And God desires our worship. Another way to look at all of this is just by asking some questions. What or who are we working for? When you punch that card in, you start your work week, who are you doing this for? Are you working for the weekend, for retirement, for the money, for the accolades, or for a certain position or the perks that come along with it? We can get out of alignment when our primary motivation is not to glorify God, but rather to glorify ourselves. And so I say that the enemy wants your worship, and if he can get your worship off of God, he wins. And so let us reflect in our own life, are there areas that are a little bit out of alignment that we need to refocus and say this needs to be prioritized, and we need to put God in his rightful place in my life. The next thing I want to point out is these men's response to the king when they're under pressure. I'm giving you another chance to bow down, and if you don't, you're going to be thrown into that blazing furnace. And they respond in verse 16, 17, and 18. And I want to emphasize something they say in verse 17. They say, If we are thrown into this blazing sur- uh, furnace, The God whom we serve is able to save us. So I want to focus in on that for a moment. Do you believe that the God that we worship, the God that we serve, He is able to save? Do you believe that? Just like these Hebrew men. I mean, if you were to be thrown into a fiery furnace, do you have that same conviction as these Hebrew men? Well, I want to point out a couple things in regards to God being able to save. The first is God is able to save us spiritually. God is able to save spiritually. The reason why I wanted to emphasize this or point this out is because sometimes I hear stories of maybe people who they've made decisions in their life or things have been done to them and they don't feel like God would really accept them they're too far gone they're not worthy enough for god to even consider bringing salvation into their life but you'll notice this verse from the book of timothy it will be on the screen here but god is a god who saves christ jesus came into the world to save sinners that's some good news folks because i I needed saving. I needed pulled out of my sin and having the righteousness of Jesus imputed into my life. And the Scripture's clear that we all have sinned. So that means level the playing field here, but you are all sinners too. We need Christ. You're not too far gone. God is able to save. And if you're listening right now and you feel like how could God ever want me, or how could God ever use me? Christ Jesus came into the world to save you from your sin. That's why He came. But God is also able to save physically. And there's many testimonies of how He's done that. God is able to save physically. I'm not going to name any names here, but we had somebody that sent out a prayer request this week on our church prayer chain. And they said it was shortly after that prayer request went out, the circumstance changed. So God is able to move. God does these things. God can move upon our physical circumstances. And so I would ask a question to all of us. Are you facing a blazing furnace? Is there some kind of situation that you're walking through where you can relate to these Hebrew men? And you're thinking... This is not going to be good, but I know God can save through this situation. But I also like their response. In verse 18, they say, look, but even if he doesn't. I just want to stop there because I mentioned we've experienced situations where God can save us physically, whether there's a financial need and God comes through or maybe there's a relationship that's strained and God comes through and, and that relationship is healed. Or maybe there's a situation in our work environment that just is it's weighing heavy on us but then God shows up and works that situation out for us. There's all kinds of circumstances and situations that we can mention and God comes and He, and he can save in that. Maybe somebody's healed. Okay? But I think we can also relate to where we go well, God didn't exactly move in the way of removing me out of that situation. How many of you can relate to that? God didn't necessarily bring the healing, or maybe that situation didn't get resolved, or or what have you, but in the midst of that they say, but even if He doesn't, I want to emphasize this so clearly today, because when you walk through those difficult circumstances, that are like a blazing furnace, and the heat is on, it's a stressful thing, there's a burden, there's heartache, there's pain. Even if God doesn't change the situation, these three Hebrew men say, we're still going to worship God and God alone. So there's a certain point where you have to make a decision that as I walk through this circumstance, I'm going to worship God. I'm going to keep my head up, And I'm going to keep trusting him in all situations, at all times, as the psalmist said in Psalm 62 this morning. But even if he doesn't, I'm going to keep my head up and worship God alone. That's the response they give King Nebuchadnezzar. How do you think he responded to that? Okay, guys, just go back home then. I got your answer. Let's look at verse 19. It says, Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. When I told you earlier that Satan wants your worship, when you don't give it to him and you choose God rather than Him, it doesn't make him happy. Keep that in mind. Satan wants to seek, kill, destroy you, rip you to pieces, rob your joy. He hates you. He hates you, but he still wants your worship. And so you stay focused on God. Nebuchadnezzar is so ticked off, he actually commands that the furnace be heated up. Crank that puppy up seven times hotter than the norm. And so they do. Then he ordered that some of the strongest men of his army come and bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It'd be like I'd say, I need three Tim butchers to come up here and take care of these men. And that furnace is cranked up. I mean, he is ticked off. He's going extreme in this situation. Verse 21, They tied them up, and they threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, their turbans, their robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames actually killed the soldiers that threw the three men in. Just wiped out your strongest men, King Nebuchadnezzar, way to go. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, Didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did. Well, look. I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. Now let's stop here for a second as well. When I told you a moment ago that God is able to save, and He saves us spiritually, no matter how far gone we are, God is gracious. What's interesting is Shadrach's Hebrew name is Hananiah, which means the Lord is gracious. God is gracious. I want to look at Meshach's Hebrew name, which is actually Mishael, and his name means, who is like God? Who is like God? It's interesting that in his life, in his journey, he's thrown into this fire and the king stands up and says, hey, there's somebody in there who's like God. But he's not referring to Meshach. He's referring to, to Jesus so I want to ask us a question when we go through the difficulties and the trials of life a good question to ask is who's with me now for these Hebrew men they had each other and that's a lot if I'm going to continue to quote the song they are still living on a prayer They needed that fourth one in the fire. And there he was. So understand this. When you go through the difficult circumstances of life, folks, remember that God is with you. The Scriptures say God is a God who goes before you. He's a God who's behind you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And so if we look at this story, the moment Nebuchadnezzar got the idea, I want to build this statue, God was with these Hebrew men. And the moment he makes this decree and asks people to bow down and worship when the music is played, God is still with these Hebrew men, when they chose not to bow down, God was with them. When they get called forward in front of all of these people and there's the pressure and the tension that we got to do something, right? All the focus is on us, but guess what? God is with them and the king gets ticked off and he says, crank that furnace up and grab the strongest men and tie these guys up. Kill them. Annihilate them. What's going through their mind? I mean, these are young men. I'm sure they're thinking about, man, this is it. Right? I mean, yeah, we could say, look how bold they are. They said God is able to save, but they also followed that up and said, but even if he doesn't, they're being taken to this furnace, tied up like hogs, about to be thrown in. What is going through their mind? But even in the midst of the doubt or the panic or the fear or the anxiousness, God is still with them. And they're thrown in. And we see who's with them. God's a God who is with us. Before your circumstance came about, God's with you and He's still with you. In the midst of the circumstance, He'll also be with you when the circumstance is completed, taken its course. God is with you. And you'll see how God is with these three men who took a stand. In verse 26, the scriptures say that Nebuchadnezzar, he came as close as he could. Remember, this thing is blazing. He came as close as he could to the doors of that flaming furnace, and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. He said, Come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, the officials, the governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. My, have the circumstances changed. Instead of crowding around them going, are you going to bow down? Now they're crowded around in this amazement. Who is this God that you serve? Verse 27 says, not a hair on their head was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. That's interesting because I can sit by a campfire for like five minutes And it just seems that the wind can be going one direction, but as soon as I park it, the wind can shift, and I'm getting blown full of smoke. How many of you can relate to that? You're like, okay, now I smell like a campfire. I can go check my smoker. You lift that thing up, and before you know it, you smell like a smoker. Okay? They're in this blazing furnace. They don't even smell like smoke. Look at God's protection and God's provision. Nebuchadnezzar said praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. You can underline that. You can circle that. Whatever you got to do to refer back to that verse. There is no other God who can rescue like like their God. The king then promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. God is with you before, during, and after. Look how they've now been elevated because they did the right thing, because they made the right choice. I want to emphasize that comment the king makes. There's no other God who can rescue like this. Think of all the things that people go to for a rescue in our life. They can go to substances, the bottle, right? Looking to the bottle for a rescue. They can go to unhealthy relationships. For the rescue only to get wounded time after time because they're just simply making poor choices we can go to all these wrong things for rescue but look at that there is no other God who can rescue like this our God is a God who rescues there's no other God who can save us like Jesus Abednego's Hebrew name is Azariah. And his name means the God who helps. God is a God who helps. He rescues. He comes to our rescue to save us. And with the title of this series being Rock and a Hard Place, we're found between a rock and a hard place. These, these men faced a very difficult decision. They were in a very difficult Circumstance, and I kind of made uh, my story known to you. It's a lot lighter than theirs. Mine was a vehicle, theirs was their very life being threatened. But the origin of the phrase, I'm found between a rock and a hard place, it actually came about in the early 1900s. Here in the U.S., there was an economic crisis. And mining workers faced two very difficult decisions. One was to be unemployed and to live in poverty and not be able to support their families. On the flip side of that, they could go to these mines and work for low wages and begin to mine rock. Thus the expression, we're caught between a rock and a hard place. It wasn't maybe their desiring thing to do. Like, I want to go work in a mine. Like, that wasn't what they wanted, but that's what they were faced with. These guys didn't want to be thrown into a fire, but that's what they were faced with. They were caught between a rock and a hard place. And I just want us to consider something. The right decision for those miners was to get to work and provide for their families. The right decision for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was to not bow down, even if it meant being thrown in to the fiery furnace. But folks, what if the right decision is the ROCK? Capital R. ROCK. Living your life for Jesus in a culture that we live in, with all kinds of idols that are demanding our worship, making a decision to stand for Jesus, it's not necessarily the easiest thing to do. When you say, I want to be a follower of Christ, you're saying, that means I'm going to forsake my sin, I'm going to forsake the worship of all these other things that people spend their time on. I want Jesus. That can be a hard decision for some people. And that's hard for us even as believers on a day-in and day-out basis. We still battle with our flesh. We still want to do what we want to do. How many of you are with me on that? Okay? Every day we're faced with this God-sized choice. Who do you want to serve today? Is it Jesus? or anything other than Jesus that would be false worship. Psalm 18, verse 2, the Scriptures say, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my Savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. With a message like this today, if I was to say, what's our response? The first question I would ask all of us is, what is the Holy Spirit speaking into your life right now? Are there some lowercase gods that we've been devoting our time and attention to that are taking the place of of God in our life? Get that straightened out. That's false worship. Get it straightened out. So we stand for what's right. And ultimately, we stand for Christ. So day in and day out, as we we wake up and we go about our routine, are there moments where we can stand for Jesus? Or are we just going about our own agenda? Make your life about ministry. It's all around you. There's people that you can encounter, you can share the love of Jesus with. But we have to have that focus if we're going to be able to do those things. My last response is for anybody that's listening. As I mentioned that Jesus came to save sinners, is to consider in your life, has there been a moment where you have gone to Jesus and said, Jesus, I want you to forgive my sin. I want you to be the Lord and the Savior of my life. Have you made that decision? in your life. And if you haven't, I want to lead you in a prayer to walk through those doors and encounter Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He loves you. He is gracious. He wants to be a part of your life no matter what it's looked like, what your past has been, the decisions you've made, or how far gone you feel. Jesus wants to be your Savior. Will you let him? When we were praying before this service, we thought of the verse in Revelation chapter 3 when Jesus says, Here I am, I stand at the door and I knock. And he says, Anyone who opens that door, that is a decision that you have to make. Anyone who opens that door, I will come in. And he will begin a relationship with you that will change your life. If Jesus enters into your life, changes will happen. That's just the reality of it. I can testify that in my own life, and I'm sure there are many here who can testify to that as well. That when Jesus entered the equation, everything changed. Do you want change in your life? then I want to invite you to pray with me to receive Christ today. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray together? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this account of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is a very real account. This isn't just some story to prove a point. These were three young men who were thrown into a fire. And the miracle was there, Lord. You were there to save them. Perhaps there's someone listening right now that you have never prayed for Jesus to save you from your sin. If Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not have God in their life, they were thrown into that fire, they would have died and then been thrown into the eternal fire of hell. But Jesus came to save people from the fires of hell. If there's someone right now that would desire for Jesus to come and save them, then I invite you to pray with me. Pray with me in your heart as I lead you right now. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner and I need a Savior. Only you can save me from my sin. So today I come to you and I ask that you would save me. Please forgive my sin. Today I put my faith and trust in you and I receive you. I open that door and receive you into my life. Today I make you my Lord and Savior. Thank you for this gift of salvation that I receive by grace through faith. In the sacredness of this moment, with every head bowed and eye closed, if there is someone here today that prayed that prayer of salvation to receive Jesus, would you simply just acknowledge that with me? Just simply lift your hand up and write back down. Just say, Pastor Russ, I prayed that prayer to receive Jesus into my life. Anyone at all, simply lift your hand and place it right back down. Lord, I thank you for your gift of salvation. Lord, for all of us, as we endeavor to follow you in our journey of faith, help us to keep our focus on you and worship you alone. May our time, our energy, our resources go toward advancing the kingdom and glorifying you. And Lord, we ask your grace and your blessing upon our week of ministry. All of us, no matter where we are, we're ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to do that effectively, to your honor and to your glory. We thank you that you are our rock, our refuge, our place of strength and safety and protection. We love you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're someone that prayed with me today to receive Christ into your life, this salvation that is now in your life, we encourage you to look at this resource called Now What? It's available online and also available at our welcome desk. It's free to you. also comes with a free Bible. We want to get that in your hands. It's, it's a next steps journey for you as you've made this decision in Christ. And one thing I want to say is if you did pray to receive Christ, one of the first things you should do is tell somebody. Tell somebody, I prayed to receive Jesus. He is the Lord and Savior of my life now. One of the first steps is to tell someone.